You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning, church. It's good to be together. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Should be a good game, I hope. If you're not into that, Martha Stewart, Snoop Dogg are still doing the uh, Puppy Bowl, so you can check that out if you want to. I'm not going to. I'm going to skip it, but, you know, check it out. I'm Sean. I'm one of the elders and uh, one of the preachers, and uh, we're going to work through God's Word together. We are in our series uh, in Jeremiah, and today we come to one of those passages, Jeremiah chapter 12, um, that's frankly kind of brutal inside of Scripture. Um, Sometimes when, when you come to passages in Scripture, they can feel like a warm blanket and a roaring fire on a cold night. They're just comforting. And sometimes passages of Scripture can feel like a sledgehammer to the face. Today, it's more like that. It's more like that. Um, Jeremiah is, is lamenting in this. And he says some incredibly harsh things. And God says things that are even more shocking and harsh. I am... Uh, proud to say, though, and glad to say uh, that we here at Grace, as one of your elders and one of your preachers, we uh, believe that all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, and we will be doing all four this morning. But it's going to be serious. It's, it's going to be serious. Um, because it's God's word and we know that it's good and just and right, it's important that we uh, form our lives, we shape our lives to fit what God's word says, not try to bend God's word to help our lives feel comfortable. All right? So again, I know it's going to be harsh, but that's, that's where we're going today. But the text is a lament of Jeremiah. And before we get into the text, I want to talk a little bit about what is a lament. Um, a lament uh, is kind of one of those words that, that you probably only will hear in church uh, or in inside of scripture, although it is used sometimes outside of those realms. But um, a lament simply is a passionate expression of one's grief or sorrow or pain. They're found all throughout uh, the book of Psalms. They're found in some of the prophets like today in Jeremiah. Of course, they're found in the book of Lamentations, a book of lament. And like Tony said, the communities at Grace, our community groups have been working through learning how to do this discipline of of lament better. Sometimes it's done in written form, like Tony read to you, his own personal lament that he wrote out. Uh, sometimes it can be done in poetry form or um, through music, through writing music, and sometimes it's just through spoken word, through, through par- prayer. It can be done both privately, just individually. It also can be done corporately with, with other believers in, in the body, and um, it's a good thing to do. Um, most of us, uh, as organisms, try to avoid pain, which is good. It helps us not get injured. Um, uh, But we also try to avoid emotional and and mental pain, I think, as well. Um, And that's understandable why, but sometimes if if in our efforts to avoid that kind of pain or not even really go there, um, it can really rob us of of healing. It can be discouraging and be isolating for us. I I know I'm like that when I try to just stuff things. And so um, I want to talk through four things, four benefits of lament, because it is a good thing for us to do. Um, These I pulled from realfaith.com, Mark Driscoll's website. There's lots of good stuff to learn um, on this website. Four things. Uh, First one is that when you lament, you allow yourself um, to feel. Sometimes in our effort to avoid pain, we we try to just kind of numb ourselves to that pain. We don't want to feel it because it's uncomfortable. But in doing so, we can actually 
cause ourselves to be numb to feeling all kinds of other emotions that we were meant to feel as humans. And so um, by, by lamenting, we allow ourselves to feel. We also allow ourselves to process through the pain because um, it's important that we feel our pain to be able to process and move through it. The third thing lament can do is, is also can help you to grieve uh, your involvement and shed your victim mindset. Sometimes things are going on in our lives, sometimes things are going on in our hearts that are uncomfortable and painful, um, and often we want to just blame other people or circumstance, but sometimes it's because of our own sin, and so lament can help us to be honest with ourselves about what we've done, about what we need to change, and how we can look differently in the future going forward. And finally, um, lament can help you to escape anger um, and depression because sometimes if we focus so much on the pain in our lives and that's all we see, we can get stuck in this cycle um, of, of, of not moving beyond that. And so we can build anger and depression that just doesn't really have anywhere to go. It's not good for us. It's not good for us. And so lament, it, it is important. And so um, today as we look at the book of Jeremiah chapter 12, it is a lament. And I just want to look at what is his problem? Why is he lamenting? What's he bothered by? I want to look at what God's response is. And then I want to, I want to talk about what that means for our lives. All right. So I do want to pray one more time. I want to invest, ask the spirit to work. And then we're just going to unpack it as we go. So bow your heads with me. Father, um, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Um, God, thank you that we can uh, trust all of your word, even when it's difficult for us to hear. I invite your spirit now to work, God. I pray you speak clearly. God, I pray you would glorify yourself. I pray you would build up this church. I pray, God, that our hearts would be um, motivated to move and to respond to whatever it is you want to do with us this morning. And so I thank you for that, God, and I thank you for the time now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 12, uh, verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and they bear fruit. Notice the respectful tone that Jeremiah starts off with here. He says, Lord, you're always righteous, always um, what I see Jeremiah doing, it, it shows his pattern of going to God with, with whatever it is. Jeremiah is a person of prayer, a man of prayer. He spends time with the Lord. Um, and this is a good thing. God wants to hear from his people. Jay talked about this last week in his great sermon on, on prayer. God wants to hear from his people in their joys and their celebrations. He also wants to hear what our needs and our wants and our desires are, but also what our worries and our fears and our pains and our laments are. God loves to hear from his people, and Jeremiah is a man of prayer. But his main problem um, that he's bringing to God, he says, God, why does the way of the wicked prosper? All of the faithless people I see around me, they're living at ease. And it says here that they have been planted and taken root and begun to bear fruit. What this means is that he's looking around and he's seeing wickedness and rebellion all around him. And it's gone on for generations. They've settled down. They've been planted um, they've grown, they've, they've bore fruit. So they're having babies. Those babies are growing up and having other babies who are growing up. And so now for generations, this wickedness, this sin, this rebellion has, has gone on and on and on. They even try to pretend like they, they love God and want to follow God. Look at the next section. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord, you see me and you test my thoughts about me. They would have sayings that they would say in those days, like, as surely as the Lord lives, and, and probably a bunch of other things. They would honor God with their lips, but, but their hearts, they were, they were far from God. 
And Jeremiah says, God, you know me. You know my heart. You know I love you. You know I want to serve you. And God did, in fact, know Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah was honoring God with all of his life. And that's the first thing that we can learn from this text is that we need to be a people that are honoring God with all of our lives, not just a part of our lives. Um, sometimes, though, I think that, that even people who have walked um, with the Lord for a really, really long time, sometimes we can uh, uh, find sins either working their way back into our lives or new sins can come along. Jesus wants all of us. He gives us everything in him, and so he expects all of us. He wants us to obey him fully in all parts of, of our lives. Now, for most of us here, you know, I'm, these aren't like big sins. I mean, most of us here aren't committing murder, right? I don't think my boy Daryl Broadsword is going to go out with a posse this afternoon and rob a bank. Well, the banks are closed. It would have to be tomorrow anyway. But he, I don't think he's doing that, right? I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. So most of these things aren't, aren't like big sins. So they feel small. And sometimes I feel like those are more dangerous um, because we can rationalize and explain, explain away these sins in our lives, I'm all about transparency, and so I will tell you, I'll tell you one of mine, a temptation of mine. I don't have any social media feeds at all, so I don't, I don't look at social media at all because I just don't have it. Um, but I do scroll through news feeds. And sometimes when I'm scrolling through news feeds, an ad, or I mean a, a little headline will come up, so-and-so celebrity sizzles in bikini on beach while on vacation. I would be lying if I said I'm never tempted to click on that. I would also be lying if I said I'd never have clicked on that. I have at times. Because we, what we happens is we begin to listen to the whispers of the father of lies who said things like, Sean, it's not porn. Yeah, but it's not purity either. Right? These sins can work, work their ways into our hearts, into our lives. For some of us, it's greed. For some of us, when we uh, go to a store and, and they overcharge us, we let them know, Right? as we should. That's, that's, that's what we should be doing. But when they undercharge themselves and, and, or undercharge you rather, and you actually owe them more money than, you know, do you say, Hey, actually I owe you 10, 10, 10 more dollars than what you're charging me. Do you let them know that? Or do we look for these little greedy things? It's tax season. Maybe some of us are coloring our deductions in such a way that, that, that it benefits us because, well, it's, it's sort of true. Okay. Well, it needs to be all true or you can't, you can't claim that deduction. Okay, that's just the way it is. Is greed something you struggle with? What about gluttony? This is a sin we don't talk about much in church, but the fact is some of us have a very, very unhealthy relationship with food. Now listen, this is not about uh, the, the number on a scale, the size of your body. This is about a posture of the heart. Because when we turn food into an idol, when we go to food for comfort and to numb our pain, we are making it an idol, something to replace the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our life. And it's sinful. It's wrong. Now, I'm not talking about feasting. I'm not even talking about eating a lot because sometimes there are times for feasting and celebration. It's a posture of the heart. It's about what does food mean to you? What about gossip or pride? or lack of patience, or the language that you use about others. 
the psalmist in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is almost a, a mirror passage to Jeremiah 12. I, I uh, encourage you to go read it, but he says at the end of this, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. This is a brave, brave prayer, one that we should all be praying because we should be honoring God with all of our lives. God, is there any part of my life, any part of my heart that is far from you? I encourage you to pray that prayer today. And when you find those areas, be honest with God. Be honest with yourself about where you're at, but seek forgiveness. For those of you in community groups, maybe this is something you can do together. You can lament together. You confess sins to one another. It might be awkward if you've never done this in, in a group before, but you also might find healing and hope and restoration and freedom from sin that maybe you've struggled with for a long, long time. We find healing in community and we should be honoring God with all of our lives and Jeremiah did. Jeremiah is serious though. Look what's next. He says in verse 3b, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying he will not see what happens uh, to us. Um, He's begging God. He's pleading with God. God, everything I see around me is wicked. Everything. It's affecting everything. Even the, the, the plants don't grow right. The animals and the birds are dying off. I don't know if my schnauzers died prematurely because of sin in our household. I hope not, but maybe they did. I don't know. But Jeremiah, he's, he's serious because sin affects those around you. This is true. How you live your life matters. Israel, the nation of Israel had adopted uh, the practices of the wicked nations around them. Israel had also been affected by their own sin. They were sort of a bad example to those around them. And so consequently, their sin grew and grew and grew. Three ways that I'll talk about this morning that sin affects those around us. Primarily and most importantly, it grieves God's spirit. Because God loves you. God knows you. He made you and he wants what's good for you. He also made life and knows how life works the best. He wants you to flourish in it. And he knows when we sin, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. It pulls us away from him. And so a great God hates sin and he doesn't want you to have anything to do with it. It grieves him. The second thing is, I've mentioned it already, is that you are an example to people around you, no matter what your age is. I don't care if you're five or 105, you're an example to people around you. So if you're a child, right, you're an example, maybe inside your home, brothers and sisters, or students if you're in school. If you're an adult, you're an example to people in your workplace and in your community and in your own home. You're an example to everybody in the room. Look around you, right? The last thing is that sin affects um, and grieves those closest to you, your family that you live with, but also your church family. I hate it when my sin affects my family. I hate it. I wish it didn't but I can see it when I sin in my home. I can see how it affects my family. It devastates me. But our sin also affects our church family because we are one body made up of many parts. Some of the most deepest anguish that I feel as one of your elders is when I hear about sin in your lives. It's so painful. And the reason why it's so painful is not because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that or I can't believe she's doing this again. It's not that, it's because I've sinned too. It's because I know how bad it is for you. It's because I know how devastating it is in your life. I don't want you to experience those things. 
They're terrible. They're terrible. Your sin affects those around you. We should be honoring God with all of our lives. Jeremiah has stated his case and God is ready to answer. And his first answer at this part is for uh, the people, um, or excuse me, just for Jeremiah. Look what he says. He says, Jeremiah, if you had raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. This is like, like God saying to Jeremiah, look, if you couldn't make the freshman football team, what made you think you were going to play in the Super Bowl? You weren't going to get there. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But what God's also saying, I think, is Jeremiah, I have been preparing you. I know it's been difficult, but what you face so far has been relatively easy and it's, it's going to get worse. I've been preparing you. And that's the third thing that we can learn from this, this section is that God prepares his people to do the work that he determines often through difficulties. God uses circumstances and, and people and places in life that we're in often through difficulties to help us grow as people. Jeremiah started out his ministry in his hometown in Anathoth. It was a, a Levitical city, so it should have been, they should have been the first to repent. These were uh, descendants of the Levites. Um, they knew Jeremiah, and it should have been relatively easy, but it wasn't. Even his own family has betrayed him. But it was in the midst of this beginnings of Jeremiah's ministry that God was preparing him for something greater, something different. But it has been a real struggle. Look what Jeremiah 15 says in verse 10. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. The Lord said, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely I will make your enemies plead with you in times of disaster and distress. Verse 15, Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering, God. He says, you're patient. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Jeremiah loves God deeply. He loves his word. When God came and commissioned Jeremiah, Jeremiah took his word. He said, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. But he feels worn out already. But the truth is, it's going to get more intense for Jeremiah from this point on. God is preparing him for something. Last the last message that I preached here was right before Christmas and I was talking about the message of the Messiah and that the message of the Messiah brought peace for us. Look at what Paul talks about in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Struggles and sufferings can produce hope. And I think one of the reasons why is because we can be reminded in those times that God might be preparing you for something. He might be doing something in your life and getting you ready for some work that he has for you to do. Now, it doesn't make the difficulties easy, but it does make them worth it. I feel like I'm in that kind of season and it's gone on for a few years. 
In 2019, um, my depression came to a head. I've shared some of that here, but I was at a breaking point. I went through some intense counseling and found amazing healing. Not complete healing, because there's still some days I struggle with that. I struggle with depression. It's hard some days, but most days it's not. Most days I have found healing, but then in 2020, COVID hit. So there was challenges at the hospital where I work. There was challenges here at church. There was challenges in my daily life. My wife's job became incredibly stressful because, because of COVID. Many of you have struggled and grieved in far more significant ways than I have had to. And I have wrestled, as many of you have, with personal pains and with struggles and with fears. But I'm coming um, more recently here in, in, in the, the recent, I don't know, two to six months to feel like, I don't know what it is specifically, but I increasingly feel like God is preparing me for something, something greater, something bigger. I also think the same is, is true for you, for our church. I don't know what it is. Life's been challenging. Life's been hard. But the mission of the gospel continues to go on, and God wants us to partner with him in that, whatever that looks like. So I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm ready, and I want to, right? Some days I want to run away. Some days I want to try to get out of it because I'm afraid. But I also want to honor God. I want to obey him. I want to serve him, and I want you to do the same. And so I'm excited to see where God will take us. But what challenges are in your life right now? What are you walking through? Will you thank God that he can use even the awful things in our life to build us up? Will you remember the truth that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope? And will you ask the Spirit of God to help you know what it is that he wants you to do and where he wants you, wants you to go? God is done talking uh, to Jeremiah about Jeremiah, and now he will begin to talk about Israel, and it is harsh. Look at verse 7. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Like a sledgehammer to the face. It says here, the one I love, that could easily be translated the word darling. It makes me think of my daughter. I've always called her that, my darling daughter. The inheritance has become to God like a lion that roars around and screams, that roars in his face. So I want to talk a minute. It says that God says that he hates her. What does that mean that God hates his people? Well, one commentator that I found to find it this way, he says, hate is God's disposition or conduct toward his people changing. Yes, that is a big, a big part of it. My son, Spencer, uh, when he was little, probably like two years old, he fell down in the kitchen one day and I went, I got down on the floor and I went to pick him up and to, to help him up. And he had already got up by that point, but he was crying. He literally like put his face two inches from mine and screamed in my face as loud as he could. And then he went and hid behind his mom. Now, what if that little boy continued to do that every single time his dad reached out to love him? His dad tried to provide for him. His dad tried to care for him. His dad tried to help him. What if every single time my son screamed in my face and ran from me and then began to, to use his words? He didn't talk for a long time. He just grunted and hit things, but eventually he learned to speak, okay? And, and what if my son 
began to use his words to, to say things against me, to say things against the rest of my family? What if in, in his hate for me, he said, you know what, I'm sick of calling you dad. I don't like the life you've brought me. I'm gonna move in with a neighbor and call the neighbor dad instead. He'll be my dad. And what if that went on and on and on and on and on? My disposition toward my son would be changed. I might say that I hate him. Imagine, just imagine what God's feeling at this point because, well, let me say this also. My son didn't do that, praise God. (laughs) He's 20, he's an awesome kid, he's growing. I'm so proud of the man he's becoming um, and we have a great relationship. But but, um, God says the nation of Israel has become like a lion. They have rejected him, they have run from him, they have mocked him. The thing thing that the church was doing then, they might have obeyed God or, or at least spoken things that honored God with their lips, but their hearts were so far from him, they were participating in child sacrifice, literally sacrificing their children in the fire while they worshiped this God Baal. They also participated in ritualistic prostitution and this had gone on for generations and generations and generations and the corruption and the evil and the sin was so deep and so far spread that God says, I hate you. Now, I wanna be careful about what I'm about to say. America is not Israel. America is not God's chosen nation. It's not. We, Although we we are not God's chosen nation, we were founded on traditional Judeo-Christian values and we have been blessed for a really, really long time. But our culture is continuing to increasingly reject anything that has to do with God, anything. Culture is trying to tear down the family. Culture is rejecting the sanctity of life. Culture is tearing down the church or trying to tear down the church and they're doing it through politics. They're doing it through art. They're doing it through academics. They're doing it through all kinds of ways. America is doing this on and on and on. They seem to be banking on the heritage that they once enjoyed of blessing and benefit. But I wonder, how long is God going to put up with it? But it's not just culture. Because some of us, even some of us inside the church, are increasingly looking like the world around us. And so some of us, some of you, some of you listening online are beginning to, or maybe you have, have already adopted this. You are celebrating and, and being excited about things that break God's heart. It's sinful. It's wrong. And God, yeah. he hates it. He hates it. And if God can say, that he hates his inheritance, his chosen people. What might that mean for you? I'm concerned. Look at God's response next. Verse nine. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the beasts, or excuse me, go and gather all the wild beasts. Bring them to devour. My shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares, no one terrifying judgment is coming for the nation of Israel. They're going to be attacked by other nations around them and completely destroyed. He says the leaders, the prophets, the priests, the kings, they're completely corrupt. They should have been leading and protecting and shepherding God's people, but not, they haven't. They're, they're corrupt themselves. Everything's totally corrupt. 
God, he continues to go on, verse 12. Over on the barren heights in the desert, destroyers will swarm. For the sword of the Lord will devour from one end of the land to the other. No one will be safe. They will sow wheat, but reap thorns. They will wear themselves out, but gain nothing. They will bear the shame of their harvest because of the Lord's fierce anger. And what he's saying here is there's gonna be invading armies that are going to come into the land. And even if you try to run out from the cities, even if you try to go into the barren heights, even if you try to go in the desert to hide, you're not safe out there. Everyone's gonna pay, everyone. Because God is that angry. And the truth, the fourth truth that we're gonna look at is that God's punishment is severe for those who were, and for those who refuse to repent, there's no escape. Like a sledgehammer to the face. Now, a couple of things. Punishing creation, punishing people is the last thing that God wants to do. And we think when we read texts like this, how, how could God do something like this? How can he talk about his chosen nation, his people like this? Remember, they are so corrupt and the evil has gone on for so, so long. It's important that we balance scripture with other scripture as we read the full canon of the scriptures so we read texts like Jeremiah 12. We need to balance it with texts like Ezekiel 18.23 that says, that God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and when they live? God's heart, it's always for restoration. It is always for repentance. It is always for reconciliation with his people. God has held out grace and love and compassion and protection and provision again and again, and again, and again, and again, but there was a limit to it. And the same is true for you. If you are outside of Christ, if you have never chosen to obey and to follow God, then there is a limit to his grace for you. God's punishment is severe and there will be no escape. And the truth is, if you continue to reject God and continue to refuse to repent, you will suffer consequences in this life. You will also suffer consequences when you meet God one day at his judgment throne where you will be condemned to eternal punishment in hell if you refuse to repent here. God's word is very clear about that. But it's not just the nation of Israel. Look at what he says in verse 14. This is what the Lord says, as for all of my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. What he's saying here is that the nations around are gonna be punished as well. And God's punishment is severe. No one's gonna escape. There isn't any nation on earth that will escape this if they continue to refuse God's grace. But for those who are in Christ... Hear me now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can confidently say that Christ took it on the cross and so we can preach this to ourselves, what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter eight, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Get excited about that. It doesn't mean that there won't be discipline in our lives. When we don't honor God with all of our lives, when we let sin creep back in, sometimes God disciplines us because he loves his kids and he wants to bring you back close to him. So you may experience discipline but not condemnation. Never again will there be condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And we know that that's true even from this own text because God's rescue mission is still in play. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. What God's saying is even after my own people have been taken away, taken captive, taken into exile, God says there's going to be a remnant that I will uproot from them, that I will bring out of them. And that remnant, out of that remnant, from the line of David will come our Messiah. God made this plan before he laid the foundations of the world and he is faithful to his promises. And so his rescue mission is still at play. But look at the last couple of verses here. God says this, but after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. He's talking here about the surrounding nations. He says, and if they learn well, the ways of my people and swear by my name saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be established among my people. And then he finishes with one more warning. He says, but if any nation does not listen, I will completely uproot and um, destroy it. The last thing um, that I see here, and this is the most important, it's that God is the God of all people and his grace extends to whoever will receive it. So have you? have you. I'll invite the worship team to come up now. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you are honoring God with all of your life or not. Maybe you've never even chosen to follow God. Maybe you've never chosen to put your faith and your hope and trust and respond to his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his provision for you in your life. If you haven't, this would be a great morning to do it. Um, all you really need to say is with your heart and, and mean it, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the things I've done and I need your help. If you want some help with that, I'll be sitting right here. Come see me during these next couple of songs. Maybe for you this morning, you are in a season of struggle and pain and you're wondering, God, what's happening? Why is this going on? Maybe you just need to sit and heal, sit and, and enjoy the love of God. But maybe you also want to reflect on maybe what God is, is doing in your life. Maybe he's preparing you for something. Maybe you're reminded this morning that how much God loves you and how much he's gone, uh, at what great lengths he's gone to save you. And so maybe what you wanna do is sit and just enjoy the goodness of God's love and worship him and enjoy him this morning. Whatever it is for you this morning, these next moments are for you. They're, they're for you to lament, to worship, to sing, to enjoy, to pray, whatever that looks like. There is communion available on the sides um, if you wanna take that. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.